I believe that the best thing for the world today would be to have more love in it. Would you all agree with that? And I believe that the greatest example of love we have is Jesus. And so then the best thing for the world today would be if more people followed Jesus and demonstrated that. And I had that demonstrated for me just a few days ago. You know, we have been, uh, if you were here a few months ago, you heard us start to talk about it. Um, having talked to our insurance, we're, we're installing a bunch of new security cameras all over the building. Uh, we already had some, but we needed some security cameras anywhere that a child could potentially be. So that means we had to install 21 more security cameras. Um, that's a lot. I don't know if you've ever hung security cameras on a giant building. That is a lot of security cameras. Uh, well, we got them all hung, uh, but and we got power to them, but we had to run data lines to them. And uh, this past Wednesday, we still had nine cameras that needed data lines run to them. And Jared was helping me, and uh, we, we did the hard cameras first. We thought, let's do the hard ones first, then we can get to the ones that are really close to the, to the office so we can run the lines, don't have to go so far. So we ran them. We ran the hard ones. We drilled holes through walls and uh, uh, filed those little cords and ran them through the ceiling, got them all the way down to that end of the building and got them back down. And, um, and then we only had three cameras left. And uh, two of them we weren't going to be able to get to because they were in an area where some people were, were meeting. And so we were just going to do one more. It was right across the hall from the office. Right across the hall, like 25 feet. No biggie. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, We've been running up and down six-foot ladder, running up and down the 15-foot ladder, um, getting all these cords. And so right across the hall from the office in the conference room, we're running a line there. I got the cord. I thread it through the ceiling. I'm going to poke it through the hole that goes from the hallway uh, over Amanda's office to get into where we need it to go with the security system. And uh, somehow, the ladder started to move while I was on it. I wasn't that high on the ladder. I was in the ceiling, but my feet were only about three, three and a half feet off the ground. But I can remember, you know, Jared was standing, I mean, he was, I don't know, Jared, like two, three feet away, but he turned the other way to get the cord, and uh, I could still see it in my head. The ladder was going that way, falling that way towards the conference room, and I was falling back this way towards Amanda's office. And I thought, I thought in the moment, I don't know if I said anything, as I was falling, I thought, oh no. <laughs> and uh, I heard the sound before I felt it. And my back smashed into the ground on the tile right outside Amanda's office, right out here by the men's bathroom. Smashed into the ground. My back hit, uh, my elbow hit, it's all scraped up. And uh, I guess my, my left palm hit the ground. And uh, immediately, the, the worst pain was in my back, right, Jared? I was yelling, my back, my back. And I lost my breath. I was starting to black out a little bit. And I rolled over on my stomach. And Jared, and it's God's provision. You know, we got that extremely heavy pew right there. I don't know if I've ever tried to pick up one of those pews, that pew that's right there outside the men's bathroom. It's about three feet long, but it weighs as much as the longest pew in here. Uh, but God somehow directed me away from that thing. And so I get positioned in that pew. And Jared runs, and he gets me some wet paper towels. And because I'm starting to black out. Gets me my water, and I'm down in the water. Got the wet paper towels trying to keep from blacking out. And then I can feel that pain in my wrist. And my wrist is in an odd position. 
it's uh, got lumps where it's not supposed to have lumps, and it's got depressions where it's not supposed to have depressions. Uh, and I can still feel my back hurting, but the pain in my wrist is, is taking over at this point. And Jared's calling the doctor. They can't get me in for two hours. So he calls the hospital, the new hospital we have, um, which is amazing if you haven't had the opportunity to take advantage of the facilities. Uh, it is a very nice hospital. Uh, and they said, no, nobody's in the ER. Come right now. And so we load up in the car, in Jared's car, and we're running to the hospital, and I'm getting nauseous, just driving, bumping, things are moving, not feeling so awesome. And uh, he drops me off, and I go in, and I never realized how many things they make you sign to get into the ER. And there's no chairs right by the sign-in place. And so by the time I think Jared parks the car and comes in, I'm like hunched over the desk, signing things, saying, can I just go sit down just for a minute? And the lady, she's clicking as fast as she can to get me to sign all this stuff. And I finally get everything signed and fall back into the chair. And they call me back and I go back and they x-ray me, um, which is one of the most uncomfortable things. Because, uh, you know, it's a flat slab and you got to lay there on my back that's hurting, turn, and then I got to twist my arm in all kinds of different ways to get all the x-rays and uh, and finally get back to the room, and they bring Jared back, and the doctor comes in and says, yep, your wrist is broken. I said, okay, <laughs> how's my back? She goes, it's fine. I said, well, it's not, but I, it's not broken. That's good. Um, and so they splint it up. They give me some medicine, some, non some, uh, uh, some nausea medicine to knock that out, which I, I love. That was amazing because I, I immediately didn't want to throw up anymore. <laughs> I wish I'd had that uh, on Thursday. Um, they gave me a little bit of pain meds, and they wrapped it up, and I could still, I mean, the, the lumps were still there, and it was still hurting, um, and they said, uh, but through God's provision in all of this, um, one of the nurses there in the ER says, you're going to have to see an orthopedist, and there's some in Texas, Canada, there's one in Mina, she said, there's one in Mina that I've actually worked for, um, that I worked for uh, uh, for a good long while. They said, so I'm going to go ahead and call them, if you're okay with that, and just check it in. And, she, and they said, okay, they might have an appointment tomorrow. I'm going to send them your x-rays. So they sent the x-rays, and she says, I'm texting with the doctor right now. He has looked at your x-rays, and he wants you to come in tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. for surgery. Um, and Jared immediately pipes up and says, yes, I will bring you. Uh, I didn't even tell you, Katie and the kids are out of town. They had left on Tuesday to go to Dallas for a couple days for spring break. So they hadn't been gone 24 hours that's what, when Reagan found out, his, his comment was, we can't even leave you alone for one day. And uh, uh, I said, apparently not. Um, and, uh, and so I'm texting with Katie and calling her, and unbeknownst to me, she's finagling things to get the kids taken care of, and she's jumping in the car to head back. Um, and Jared says, I'll, I'll take you. And, uh, and so that's the plan. And so they call in some medicine. We go to the, the uh, uh, pharmacy, but the pharmacy's closed. We missed them by about 15 minutes. And so I call, Jared, go ahead and drives to Walmart. And so I call the ER back, and they cancel that prescription and send it on to Walmart. And uh, uh, I go into Walmart and wait in line. And right about now, it's, you know, 540 at, 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 uh, at Walmart, and the pharmacy closes at 6. Have you ever been to Walmart to try to pick up your prescription right before 6? There's probably 20 people, and we're down the aisle, down to the greeting card section, okay? And I'm trying not to pass out. 
and we get close, uh, about to cross the aisle to get up there to the pharmacy, and I walk up to the, the door, and I tell the pharmacist, I can't stand here any longer. She looks at me, and she says, yeah, you're pretty white. Why don't you sit down? And I said, okay, I'm going to sit down, and she, she finds it um, after some, some to-do, finds the prescription, and uh, she, she comes out there and sits with me for a little, the pharmacist comes out and sits with me for a minute and talks to me, and then talks me through what the medicine is, and and uh, I'm the last one then to go up. And I'm, again, I'm thinking, how many things you got to sign here? And I'm signing all this stuff. And um, uh, the lady checking me out says, your lips are looking pretty white. And I said, I really need to sit down. She goes, there's one more thing to sign. I said, okay, but you're going to have to pick me up off the floor. And so I signed this last deal, and she hands me the medicine. And I go back to sit down on the little benches, and I'm thinking, I, I really kind of, I think I need a wheelchair because I'm not going to be able to walk out to the parking lot where Jared is. And so I turned around after sitting down at the pharmacy, and they've already got the metal partitions pulled down. Like, they waited for me to get the medicine, and pff, they dropped those things. And, and so I sit down and call Jared, and he comes in, he finds a wheelchair. They don't have the electronic wheelchairs anymore at Walmart, uh, but he finds a wheelchair that apparently they've welded a basket on the front to. <laughs> and, uh, and so he gets that, and he he's wheels me out into the parking lot. And I'm sure we were a sight, uh, <laughs> going out to the parking lot, and takes me home. And Katie's on the road coming at this point. Uh, and uh, so I get in the house, and Jared calls me about 20 minutes later. And I didn't tell you, Wednesday, when all this happened, is Jared and Amanda's anniversary. Uh, <laughs> so I had called Amanda while I'm waiting in Walmart for the, for the medicine. And I said, thank you for loaning me your husband on your anniversary. <laughs> um, and uh, so he, Jared calls me about 20 minutes after he drops me off just to make sure I'm not passed out in the living room. He said, I was going to wait, and if it didn't answer, I was just going to go ahead and start coming. I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. Thank you. Um, and Katie gets there that night about 10.45 or so. She ran into traffic on I-30 uh, getting back, and uh, she, t she woke up all throughout the night just to make sure, you know, my fingers were still warm and my hands were still working, and um, loaded me up the next day to go to surgery. And even down there at the surgery place, um, we did fill out all the paperwork at 8, but the surgery wasn't going to be till the afternoon. Uh, but there was this uh, uh, OR prep nurse who saw us waiting in the waiting room and just went ahead and brought us back to the prep area just to be able to lay down and hang out back there so that when it was time to have surgery, they just took me straight back. All the stuff had been done, all the prep work had been done, and um, Katie had gotten me some pillows from Walmart to have my arm propped up, and uh, they took me back and, and then brought me, Katie brought me home. And again, stayed up all night checking my arm, making sure the arm wasn't flopping around. It was a dead arm. They gave me a nerve block. I did whack myself in the face a few times, moving my arm around just because I couldn't, couldn't feel it. And, uh, but she was checking my arm, making sure everything was good. And, and uh, uh, then the nerve block wore off. And I'm able to move my fingers now. And um, it's not like a full cast. There's a splint on the underside. So the top side is, is um, very soft. So nobody come up and pat it. Okay, please. Um, Ethan has a couple times already this morning. Um, but uh, my back's still sore. People are asking me this morning how I'm feeling. This doesn't hurt so bad. It's sore. If I twist it in a funny way, I can feel it. Um, the worst part is having to sleep on my back because I have to be still and my back hurts because I fell on it um, to keep my arm stationary. So I'm hoping this week when I go back and they take this thing off that I can, they give me something I can sleep in a different position. That'll be a lot, a lot better. Um, so I won't be climbing ladders uh, for any time soon. So if anybody wants to help us run those last three lines, we would love to have you help. Um, but uh, it was just to see God work 
through such love and generosity of my wife, Jared, the pharmacist, the, the ER nurse, uh, that OR prep nurse, people going out of their way. You know, when people follow the example of Jesus, it really stands out um, everywhere you go. And so let's look at that today in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We've been looking at Jesus on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified and the things he did on the journey to get there. He did a lot of things on the way to Jerusalem. He talked to a lot of people. He did a lot of miracles. At this point in John chapter 12, he is just outside of Jerusalem, mile, mile and a half-ish, on the other side of the Mount of Olives in the city of Bethany. John chapter 12, it's on page 898 if you're using a Bible on the pew rack there. So John writes, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Now that has just happened in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, that whole chapter, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, and that took place in Bethany. Jesus has gone off and he's come back to Bethany to, to go into Jerusalem to be crucified. And uh, verse 2 so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Now imagine dinner conversation at this dinner. Jesus, son of God, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. How hard was it, you think, to get a ticket to this dinner? And they're there, the conversation that's going on around the table, you can ask Lazarus, so what was it like, I mean, really, for those four days? What was it like? What did you experience in all of that, and Jesus being there to help everyone understand. So they're experiencing this meal. Verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So it says a pound. Um, the, the, the word in the original language, that's about 11 and a half ounces. This is a lot of ointment, and it's pure nard. Now, nard was, was this particular kind of uh, extract from a plant that came from northern India, and they had to um, get a bunch of the plant in order to get this much of it, um, and they would take it, and they would create this ointment and put it in a sealed alabaster jar, typically with a long neck, and it was only broken. The neck was broken only when it was going to be used, because then once you broke the neck, you couldn't you know, restop it kind of a thing. Um, and so Mary brings this out and she breaks the neck and she pours it out on Jesus' feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance of Mary's offering, of her sacrifice, of, of Mary's worship. The fragrance was filled with that smell. Everyone in there was affected by her worship of Jesus. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are the aroma of Christ. And so seeing what Mary did, the question then would be, how does our worship of Jesus impact those around us? Is it that aromatic? Is it that fragrant that it fills the house? Have you ever had somebody maybe spray too much cologne or too much perfume and it fills the house? All right, let me ask you, have you ever been to youth camp? 
middle school boys and body spray. It's as though they bring a different body spray for every day and just hold it down. I remember when I was a youth minister and you would walk back into the room from being outside and this like green cloud would flow out of the room. You just couldn't walk in. It was so thick with all these different smells. Um, that's the idea, is this smell is so overwhelming that it's thick throughout the house because Mary's done this. It is impacting everyone, her worship of Jesus, her sacrifice for Jesus. She was anointing his feet. Now, anointing feet, I mean, we've, if you're any familiar with Scripture, you've heard the story, but anointing feet was an odd thing. It wasn't typically done. People anointed your head. On occasion, they might anoint your hands if it was something you were going to do, but anointing feet was very unusual. Typically, when you would go somewhere, like in this case, to have a, have a dinner, the host would provide water for the guests then to rinse their feet off as they entered the house out of courtesy. Sometimes the host would provide someone to do that for them, like a servant or a slave or somebody who uh, was, did not have much honor in order to touch everybody's feet. That was a very dishonorable thing. But here Mary isn't being made to do this. She's not a servant. She's Lazarus' sister. She's Martha's sister. She's doing this of her own volition, out of worship for Jesus. She's anointing his feet with this ointment, with this perfume. For Mary, this is an act of worship. This is an act of honor, of humility, of, of commitment to Jesus. But then she does the, another odd thing, not only anointing his feet there with everybody else, she takes her hair down. Undoing your hair for an upright woman in public was not something that was done, ever, ever. Like, it's not something that just occasionally happened. It was never, ever done, not even suggested. Only dishonorable people did that. But here Mary's not thinking about what anybody else in the room will think about her. She does this in order to wipe up the ointment, in order to wipe up the perfume, in order to continue to worship here, to continue to humble herself, really. She's showing this humble devotion without regard to what outside observers might think about her. The perfume, this pure nard permeating everywhere, she's wiping it up with her hair and, and humiliating herself in front of everyone out of a commitment to Jesus. She doesn't care what they might think about her worship, about how she chooses to honor Jesus. All she's thinking is how to honor Jesus. Look at verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, that, I love that John puts that in. He doesn't want us to get confused. This isn't, there's two Judases who are disciples, and, and uh, John, who's writing this, who's also one of the disciples, says, this is Judas Iscariot, the, the bad guy who was about to betray Jesus. He speaks up, verse 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 300 denarii, that's about a year's worth of wages. Judas is doing some quick calculation, thinking, okay, this would be worth about a year's worth of wages. This is a lot of money. This is thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. This could have been sold. And we then, she could have been given to us, and we then could have distributed it to the poor. If she would have been really thinking about others, this would have been better. If her worship of Jesus would have been in a different way, this could have been a better scenario. She's worshiping Jesus wrong. 
is the way he's presenting this. But John, in hindsight, in writing this down, knew a little more, verse 6. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So John, now in the day when this was actually happening, none of them knew this. They might have suspected, maybe, but they didn't really know it. But looking back, they can see it, see what was actually going on. He said, okay, Judas would actually take stuff from the money. He was the treasurer. He would keep the money. He would help distribute the money when we had food. He would pay for it. And we didn't question him. We trusted him. But he would steal from Jesus. And so that's what Judas is thinking. He's seeing here in in that uh, 300 denarii, that that alabaster jar that's been broken, that that pure nard, he's seeing uh, something that could benefit him. He's seeing new shoes. He's seeing a new robe. He's seeing a new money bag. He's seeing something else he could spend this money on. Uh, Verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. I've always wondered about that verse 8 seems kind of harsh. Poor you will always have, but you won't always have me. But I learned a few things. Uh, when Jesus says there, you will keep it for the day of my uh, burial. That word burial actually literally means burial preparation. She, this was designed to be kept for the day of my burial preparation. And then there's also a first century Jewish teaching that says the preparation for burial and the burial itself supersedes anything else you might do. It's got to be done quickly, typically in, on the day that the death happens. Um, uh, that even supersedes charitable giving is what the, the, the line in the Jewish teaching says from the first century. Uh, that if somebody dies, you have to prepare them for burial and bury them before you would go out and, and give the planned charitable giving you were going to give. And so Jesus is just reiterating that teaching here. He's saying this, this perfume was meant to be kept for the day of my burial preparation, which we know is just a few days away. She's keeping it for that, and now she is preparing me for that. Because I don't know if you remember, but when Jesus dies, they don't have time to prepare him for burial. They take him down from the cross and put him straight in the tomb. They don't have time to prepare his body. They don't have time to put perfume and oils on his body. They come back on Sunday to do that. But he's already raised from the dead by then. There's no time to do it because he's raised. So the only time they would have had to prepare him for burial was in this moment. And so Jesus is telling everybody in the room, I am about to die, and she's preparing me for that moment. Don't stop her from doing this honorable thing. Don't stop her from doing this thing that... that she is, is doing. What's even more, a, a thing that I read this week that I'd never really considered, some would suggest that this kind of a thing, this, this alabaster jar of, of nard perfume was so expensive that it most likely was a dowry. It would have been something that would have been given in exchange for a marriage. And if that is the case, Mary is sacrificing something far more than just finances and busting this thing open and pouring it out on Jesus. 
She could be giving up her opportunity at a suitable marriage. At least what the first century would have considered that, what culture would have considered that. Her sacrifice, her, her worship, her offering, her decision to honor Jesus was what mattered to her in the moment. And that was not understood by anybody else in the room. That was even ridiculed by those in the room. Another one of the Gospels telling this story says it wasn't just Judas who, 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 who mocked her. It wasn't just Judas who, told, uh, who said to stop her. The other disciples joined in uh, that chorus and said, stop her, don't let her, don't let her do this. They didn't understand what she was doing. You see, Mary chose to do the dishonorable task of washing Jesus' feet, anointing his feet. She chose to do it in an honorable way, to show her devotion, to show her commitment, to show how much she honored Jesus. And it wasn't understood by anybody else in the room. It wasn't they, 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 they did not have the capacity within their minds to understand why in the world she would do this thing. Why in the world she would choose to honor Jesus like this. Why in the world she would choose to worship Jesus like this. In their minds, seeing her do this, they're not seeing this as honoring Jesus. They're seeing this as embarrassing. They're seeing this as a mistake. They're seeing this as ridiculous. But she does it anyway. Because... Following Jesus will be misunderstood. Following Jesus will be misunderstood. But we don't follow Jesus to be understood. That is the hard thing. Sometimes, you know, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, we want to follow Jesus. We'll say it and we'll do everything we can to acknowledge that and follow Jesus. But then when Jesus wants us to do something that's outside of the norm... We begin to get a little anxious. Our, our heart beats a little faster. When it's something that others might look down upon or when it's something that other people might not understand, we hesitate and we may not do it at all for fear of what somebody else might say or for fear of what somebody else might do or for fear of somebody else's response or reaction because we choose to follow Jesus in this particular way and, and it will have adverse effects I mean, it, it, it's the, that verse in, uh, uh, I'm blanking, my mind's getting a little fuzzy. I think it's Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, that choosing to serve God means choosing not to serve people, and choosing to serve people means choosing not to serve God. You can't do both. If you're going to serve Jesus, that means some people aren't going to understand what you're doing. That may even mean some people don't like you because you're choosing to serve Jesus in that way. Have you ever had somebody not understand something you were doing for Jesus? You ever somebody not understand? Katie and I were talking about it this week. There was somebody who, was, who had made a decision. Um, and from our uh, perspective, and we had a little bit of inside knowledge of the situation, they were choosing to make people happy rather than choosing to do what was right and what Jesus would have be done. And it was making the situation worse and causing great spiritual damage. Um, uh, spiritual collateral damage on those that it was leaving in its wake. But we have to understand, following Jesus is going to be misunderstood. It just is. These, the, these, these guys, I mean, I mean, think about these disciples. They've been around Jesus now for several years. They've seen crazy stuff. They've seen people worship Jesus in crazy ways. 
But here they are with Mary doing this thing, and they still don't understand. They still don't get it. It still doesn't click into place. You see, that just means there can be someone in your life who may have been around Jesus for decades, who may not understand a reason you choose to follow Jesus, who may not understand why you're giving that amount to Jesus, who may not understand why you're going to church that many times, who may not understand why you wake up at such and such hour to spend time with Jesus, who may not understand, they may not, but we don't follow Jesus to be understood. We follow Jesus because he loves us. That's the only reason we follow Jesus. We follow him because he loves us. We don't follow Jesus to get stuff back. We don't follow him to get stuff. That's not the way this relationship is supposed to work. He's going to give it. He promises to give stuff. Heaven, eternal life, peace, and, and power, and patience, um, and rest. But we follow him because he loves us, because he chooses to love us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. He loved us first, which is really, if you really sit down and think about it, is a hard concept to grab a hold of. He chose to love us before we were even born, knowing all of the sins we were going to do, knowing all of the selfish decisions we were going to make, knowing all of the bad things that were going to come out of our mouth, knowing all of the thoughts that were going to flow through our head from the moment we're born until the moment we die. He chose to love us even knowing all of that in advance. And so we love him in response to that. We can only love him because he chose to love us first. And then if we love him, John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Meaning, if you love me, you will follow me. If you love me, you will follow me. It won't be easy. He tells the disciples that in John chapter 22. Now, he, he tells them it's going to be a hard, a hard row to hoe. It's going to be a hard way to go. Ultimately, all of them will be killed for their faith. History tells us that uh, of the 12 disciples, after Judas had died and they brought in the new guy in Acts chapter 1, Matthias, uh, 11 of the 12 were executed. And then John, the one who wrote this gospel, the last one alive starved to death. At least that's what history tells us. All of them, to the man, died for their faith because they were going to follow Jesus. And nothing was going to shake them from that faith, from that way. They were going to follow Jesus because Jesus loved them. Jesus demonstrated that love for them in his death, in his resurrection. And they were never going to hesitate from following Jesus. If that meant they lost their job, if that meant they didn't know where their next meal was going to come from, if that meant they lost that friend, if that meant that that money that came in, they had to give back to the Lord, if that meant they had to trust God in what he was going to do tomorrow to handle the situation, they didn't know how the situation was going to be handled, if that meant they needed to rely on him for whatever was going to come down the pipe, they were going to trust him above all else because he loved them. And they did, every single one of them, right to the very end. Jesus loves me, this I know, 
Well, the Bible tells me so. And they follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because he loves us. And so the question for you then today is, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to follow him? Maybe you've been struggling with this concept of following Jesus, and you say, as a Christian, yeah, of course, I want to follow Jesus. I get that. I want to follow Jesus. But that may mean sacrificing something that you don't want to sacrifice. That may mean sacrificing your opinion so that somebody can come to know Jesus. That mean, what that means is that may mean you holding your tongue and being quiet so that person can come to know Jesus. Sometimes, what is that old saying? The greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians who honor him with their mouth but go out and live a completely different way. When people see the way we talk or see the way we treat each other, because our opinions and our offense is, is in our actions worth more than us telling somebody else about Jesus. Sometimes we're, we're the most like Jesus when we just keep our mouth shut. Amen? Some of y'all are cutting your eyes down the row at somebody else. I saw it. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> Maybe don't elbow them. You'll be sleeping on the couch later. <laughs> but... We just need to follow Jesus. Will you follow Jesus today? Follow him. Follow him in the way that Mary did. Worship Jesus without thinking, what are they going to think of me? Maybe you felt convicted when you were having a conversation with that one person the other day at Walmart on the bread aisle, complaining that they moved the bread aisle, even though it's been moved for months. I still get it walk down the ketchup aisle and the bread's the aisle over. And, um, and, uh, but you, were, you had a conviction that you were having a conversation with somebody and, and the conviction was you need to stop and pray for this person. You thought, that's too weird to pray for this person in the bread aisle. Maybe next time you need to stop and pray for that person in the bread aisle at Walmart. Maybe following Jesus may feel odd, may end up not being understood, may end up you being mocked. But will you follow Jesus? Follow him, even when you don't understand, even when you know somebody else isn't gonna understand. Maybe today what you need to do is you need to follow Jesus for the first time. And you've been wrestling with it for the longest time, saying, I know about Jesus, I've heard about Jesus, Easter's coming, we do Easter because of Jesus, we do Christmas because of Jesus, his name is in the word, Christmas, Christ Mass, it's there. I know about Jesus, but you haven't believed in Jesus. And maybe what you need to do today is you need to believe in Jesus. Will you follow Jesus today for the first time? Believe in him, that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Will you believe in Jesus today? Choose to believe in Jesus today. I'll be here at the front. I'll probably be sitting down, but I'll be right here looking for you. Jared will be right there at the back. He'd love to talk to you too. We want to talk to you. We want to pray with you. Whether you, you, you need prayer over uh, 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 strength to follow Jesus, prayer over wanting to follow Jesus for the first time, becoming a Christian, or maybe what you need to do in just a minute, come and pray over somebody in, in your circle of friends or somebody in your family uh, who is, is, is not following Jesus. 
And you need to come and fall on your knees before the Lord and pray for that person. For God's intervention, direct hand of intervention in their life to bring them to him. Will you follow Jesus? Because when God's people follow the example of Jesus, it really stands out.